It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Accenture overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, and welcome to the podcast, the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. My name is Fergus Collins, and I'm the host of the podcast. And welcome to a brand new season of 14 episodes that we're calling A Taste of the Countryside. So we're adventuring, celebrating food and drink, and especially those farmers and food producers who work alongside nature to enhance biodiversity and the environment as they go about their business of creating great food. And throughout these episodes, we're going to be doing a little bit of foraging and tasting ourselves along the way. I'm currently sitting just downstream from a San Martin colony. You might hear these lovely birds just buzzing around me as they go about their business of foraging and heading to and fro from their holes and little riverside cliffs. And then I can also see, you can hear the river bubbling in the background, I can also see trout rising for the same insects that the sand martins are foraging for. But that makes perfect introduction to episode one of this new series, where I headed off to the far north of Scotland, into the wilds, to forage and catch my own food over a couple of days as a little experiment. I took a couple of close friends for company, and including an extremely good fly fisherman, to ensure that we didn't go completely hungry. But it is perhaps a reminder why the vast majority of us are so reliant on professional growers to put food on our plates. That said, it was a fantastic adventure into food, foraging, wildlife and landscape. So come with me to the empty wilds of Assint in Sutherland. I hope you enjoy the journey. And that's the sound of a cuckoo calling across a little glen high up in the north of Scotland in Ascent. 
soundtrack of today's adventure, where we aren't specifically looking for wildlife. This is a food adventure where I'm heading off with a couple of friends to forage around these lands here on the coast and inland to see what sort of food you can glean from the land. Now today we are taking our fishing rods and heading inland to a lock. Not too far away, over the hills a bit. I will be keen to find whatever wildlife we can along the way. Well, we're hoping to catch some wild brown trout for our supper. And then we'll be heading down to the coast to see what sort of things we can forage. So it's a wild foraging day, a wild foraging podcast. And you'll be hearing the voices of my friends Gavin Meredith and Joel Burden who have appeared on the podcast before, last year, on Adventures in the Highlands. So, good morning, Gav. Excited. Yeah. Rod is up. Yeah, <laughs> Which absolutely. is always good to see. And, uh, and then we can, we can head up this lovely-looking track. And it's not too far. We're going to a loch called Loch Abraig, which we're told has lots of teeming with fish. So if we don't catch anything today... Uh, only got ourselves to blame. Yeah, we've got Gav to blame anyway. So the cuckoos are up here because of the meadow pipits, of which we'll hear lots. Really clear, isn't it? <laughs> That's uh, the curse of the podcast. Um, we should talk about yesterday's fishing trip. The wettest day I've ever had. <laughs> Six hours in pouring rain. <laughs> All of us with totally uh, malfunctioning waterproofs. Yes. Uh, in a bog, boggy, a boggy walk-in, an even boggier walk-out. Two fish caught in the entire day, neither of which would have... Uh... <laughs> We've only got one. No, we caught two fish. Did you caught... I caught... Yeah. Oh, you caught one and threw it back, did you? Yeah. Did yeah, you yeah, not see it. that? It was uh, very no, much now a microfish. Now you mention okay. it. I think I was in the depths of despair by that stage. I was yes, that despair had crept in on no, some no, of the party. You were the only one that didn't catch anything. Yeah, Joel didn't catch. I actually caught my first ever fish while well, fly fishing. I, I caught myself several times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, it's a okay. solid big fish. So we had well, we had a day of practice yesterday. Now the rain is coming down now, so I might have to switch off the. So we've got about a mile to go. Is it? Would you say, Gav? Uh, I'm looking at the wrong side of the map. So we're just following a track on a still day, so there will be midges just spattering with rain, but nothing like yesterday's constant downpour. And uh, although it was an utterly beautiful place, <laughs> and the ubiquitous wren calls out of the moor. Everywhere from suburban gardens to the highlands, the wren is around. Anyway, here we are. We've all got a rod each. And so the idea of this is the dream, really, of finding food from the land. Now, you, of course, coming to a place like this, there's almost nowhere in Britain where you can fish without a permit inland. On the coast, it's a slightly different situation. But because this landscape is maintained by the Ascent Crofters Association. You pay some money to them to... Not a huge amount of money. So it's not exactly wild foraging in that sense. It's not free food. And you only take a small number of fish. 
But the good news is this landscape is riddled with hundreds of locks. If you look on a map, it's almost more water than land. So what you find is that yeah, the populations of trout, the water's clean, populations of trout are really good. And it's hard to get to. Not that many people come here, so there's a real sense of wildness. As I climb a steep slope to get to the top of the uh, top of a ridge, hopefully the lock will be just in front of us. So Gav is our fisherman. Joel is our sort of quite knowledge about the local history here. So our expedition historian. Now we've reached sort of little peak and then the land drops away. It looks like there's going to be a lock down here. We should see some water soon. It is very wet underfoot. We're sort of cutting through the a path through the heather. Well, we're not cutting a path, we're following the path through the heather and we can see the lock. Not far away at all. So we're down by the lock side. Cuckoo with us. And we've all had a few casts. Gav has had a, f a bite. That is the sound of Gav casting. And we've also seen a couple of divers on the lock, although I didn't get... I was busy casting and untangling my line, so I didn't quite get to see what they were, but I think probably black-throated divers. Uh, I think we're going to walk around this lock, because we haven't... Gav's had a bite, but didn't land it. So I think we're going to set off for a bit of an adventure around the lock. But there's a bit of blue sky coming. Blue sky, Gav? Yeah. Been there since we arrived. It's just not come closer. <laughs> just the sound of the cuckoo echoing alone around this lock. There's very little breeze, which is amazing. Had a good long fish at the first lock, Lock Brigag, and we've just crossed a little sort of shoulder of hill down to another. It might be the same lock. I'm unable to look at the map right now. But the weather's really calmed down, and it, the surface of the water is like a mirror. There's some lovely crags, and not a single tree to be seen. But there are. And when it gets still and it stops raining, uh, we get to meet one of the Highlands' most terrifying beasts, which is the, the midge. And then, really itchy, all over my head. However, the good news is that our chief angler, Gav, has caught two brown trout. Good size as well. So, we, we need two each, really, fish this size for a supper. And so I'm going to go and inspect them. They're beautiful creatures. They have this wonderful golden green body, silvery sides and spots, markings. Everyone is different. And uh, I'm going to cut across a little waterfall coming down to the coming down to the lock. 
just hear the roar of it in the distance. Meadow pipits up and about. Cuckoos have died down, so we did have cuckoos for pretty much the first hour, hour and a half. It's been very quiet. There was a bird of prey, a merlin, which gave itself away by, um, you can hear Gav casting. Uh, I'm going to have a little cast here, but with more hope than expectation. So here we go. I'm casting. We should rod back and forth, try and keep it as straight as possible. Try not to catch the stuff behind. Out it goes. And you hope you present the fly in such a way that it looks like a tasty morsel for a, a trout. Bit midgy? Bit midgy? Just, just tickling. That was a better cast. Come on, trouty trouties. Much better cast. That's a really good cast. I'm getting it out to 30, 30 feet or so. So that's much better. I've been learning a lot about casting. Obviously, this isn't the way to catch your food. If you were desperately hungry, you'd have a spinner, which is a lure, which is very, very little technique needed, but lots and lots and lots of easy bites. Great way to catch a trout if you're a cheat. Looks like fish are rising a bit further out. So. What on earth is that noise? I hate that captured. So that was an unusual bird call. I don't know what that was. I will have to check what it was. Felt grouse-like, but you just, you just don't know. Lots of sheep bones here. Actually, this isn't a sheep. This is a cow. Wow. I saw a couple of fish rise just slightly further up. Yeah, I think I've seen. There's, I think there's, it's a good time. You are? Just need to get a couple of good casts in, in yeah. a place where there's a fish. And I mean, it's not good, this flat calm. Is it? It's not good. Oh. Yeah. Flat calm's not good for fishing? No. no. Oh. What do we want? Just a bit of a breeze? Just a bit of a breeze, on a ripple on the water. Ah. So that disguises the fly better, yeah? I presume so. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe we're hoping for a ripple. Oh, Gav has, Gav's caught a fish. Now I'm going to commentate on this. It's the first time I've just jumped out of the water. Doesn't look massive. The rod is bending. It's not tiny though, is it? Um, not broken a record. No, okay. Could this be the smallest of the three? No, I don't think so. Oh. We'll see. 
It's fighting hard. I can see it in the shallow, in the shallows. Beautiful. So it's it's fighting hard and it's coming into the shallows now, and uh, I can just see it dashing around. Oh, beautiful fish! That was it jumping out. Just got to keep your line tight on all times. That's the that's the advice. I haven't had to worry about that. <laughs> do you want my do you want my landing net? No, it's all right. No. Famous last words. Gav brought me a beautiful landing net. Oh, uh, splashing around. Well, yeah, eight ounces. I'm going to describe it actually. Yeah, it's a really fantastic golden belly, greeny, silver, blue back, powerful tail. There are a few red spots in it. A few red spots. We've added that fish to our bag, and that's three. Uh, that will be part of uh, part of our first forage meal of this expedition. So for now, I'm going to carry on a bit of exploring this lock, making the most of our, this wild place. So I have a lot to learn with fly fishing, and uh, it's quite a energetic occupation. And so I'm just having a little contemplative sit by the lockside. There's a little bit of a breeze which has completely got rid of the midges. Fantastic. And I think this is sort of almost optimal fishing time, so I expect Gav to catch another fish for us. <laughs> I'd like to catch one myself, but I think I'd probably starve to death if it was if it was entirely up to me to catch supper. Sorry. So I've, uh, I've just caught my first big fish of the day and uh, just went off by myself to a little headland because I was getting like, oh, what's wrong with me? Uh, why am I so rubbish? At, uh, uh, so I practiced and practiced but anyway I found just it was a real sort of rubbish cast I did, but as I was drawing in the fly as you do, hand over hand sort of thing, something took it. It was quite a long fight and then it swam underneath the bank and uh, I thought I'd lost it. It was a horrible moment, a horrible moment. And then it stayed on and amazingly I was able to land it. So. I feel like I've done a. I feel like I've passed on this sort of catching your own food part of the journey. So just walking through sort of heathery, brackeny landscape of, but with violets and primroses and I've even seen a sundew, which I've never seen in my life. Tiny carnivorous plant with these sort of sticky buds on its leaves and it's uh there's moths floating around the day has just turned into just a light breeze so the midges are down and the sunshine a little bit watery sunshine so we're all feeling quite relaxed now but yeah just waiting for joel to catch one It's so peaceful here. It's 
a common sandpiper walking along the shore, which is a little wader. This sort of chocolatey, pale, milk chocolatey upper parts and very bright white underparts. And across the water, a willow warbler singing. The sun is now sparkling on the water. This is the first sun I've se seen since we came up. To and Joel is fishing. I've just lost my fly somewhere, unfortunately. Uh, which is disappointing. So, and I don't have a replacement bit of line at the moment. So I'm just sitting, enjoying the view. There's a sort of forested island. A lot of the islands are wooded because the deer can't get to them. I'm just watching the sandpiper clicking its tail. And a meadow pipit. So peaceful. There should be divers on this log. We've heard some interesting calls. But I've been more focusing on the, the fishing today. So we'll uh, we'll take our fish, our catch back. Four so far. We'll see what we get. And then the next time you'll hear from me. Unless something dramatic happens. So after a wonderful afternoon of meandering around locks, looking at looking at the craggy peaks and casting ineffectively into the water. Well, me at least. But I'm here with Gav, who's who's scored four, and I scored one of these fish. I'm just got, I'm just cleaning them before we eat them, and we're just going to fry them in butter uh, and a bit of salt in a big frying pan. Uh, the trouble is, we've got five fish, and there's three of us. Uh, unfortunately, Joel didn't catch any, so that's five between two. <laughs> But it's kind of part of the process. I feel is like it's a, it's a messy process cleaning fish, and not everybody enjoys doing it. But I do kind of. It's not that I relish getting inside a fish's stomach, but I do sort of respect this part of the process of. I don't know what that bit was. Uh, anyway, you get to know your fish very well, and there's a sort of respect thing going on here that we're going to gonna give we're gonna eat them and we're gonna cherish the time we've had with them. Do you want me to uh, read the entrails? <laughs> <laughs> Trout entrails, yes. What, what and predict the weather for the next yeah. three days. Well that would be good. What do you what can you see in there? Um, much mizzle. <laughs> <laughs> Followed by more mizzle. By more mizzle, okay yeah, and, and possibly not many more fish, but we'll see. We'll probably have another expedition, won't we? For out the window here tonight it's looking absolutely wondrous oh, now. Really you is. can see you can see the top of Swilven and I think is that Colmore over there? Yeah, just sort of silhouetted. Looking so clear and amazing. The thing about the house we're staying in is that if if it's if the weather's bad, you don't know there's mountains around. So it's quite weird to see them today. But uh, yeah, absolutely fantastic day. Well, well done, Gavin, getting so many of these fish. Um, and they're all a good size, so we should it's be able to It's the task fish. I was given. Yeah, yeah, chief, chief expedition fisherman. Yeah. To eat these now. I know some people will say, "Oh, it's cruel. You've had, you've sort of had, you've gone fishing. You've killed them." But you know, millions of people around in Britain eat fish. And I can't think of a better way of 
eating fish than by going and catching it yourself. And you know, there's a real respect going on here. I'm not sure what that. Well, and these are a very sustainable supply. Yeah. As well. Yeah, they are well looked after. It's kind there's of no shortage of them in the locks here. No. And you know, we're not going to do any damage to the numbers because we've been seven hours out there and we caught we've caught five. Uh, and I think Gav on his own probably would have caught more, but he's been hampered by the thrill of catching a fish. is is undeniable. It's a wonderful thing to feel a to feel the tug on the end of the line and the the battle. Gav, you, you've been doing it for decades. Would you say? Uh, probably three decades. Not far off. Yeah. Forty years. Forty years, and the thrill is still there. Um, yes, I think so. I mean, yeah, um, it's it's the scenery. The it's, scenery is absolutely. Yeah, if you've never been to a setting scene, as, so. as much as the fishing. Yeah. So up here. Yeah, I think if you because you can just go off into the wilds, and it really is wild. There's no. There's no. F- there are a few sheep around, so there's of elements of farming. There's probably some old crofts up in the hills that we didn't see, but but generally it's probably never been farmed. The stuff we've been to. No, um, mm. I mean we saw merlin today. A mer- we've yeah. seen lapwing. We've seen oyster catchers. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's probably lots more if we. Uh, Cuckoos galore. Cuckoos galore. Yeah, thick on the ground or in the air and in the trees. This is the place if you want to see cuckoos from up here. Great, well there we go. Five fish gutted and ready for ready for frying. We're gonna have a beer. We've earned ourselves a beer. And that, I have a brew. <laughs> yes, I should say, as well as being chief as expedition photographer, fisherman and um, uh, a comedian. <laughs> Gav is a home brewer, extraordinaire. Remind me what you bring to the... Yeah, well, we'll come to that down the line. A happy sound. Is there any more joyful sound after a day out in the wild? Perfect. If you can get anything out of that, that's great. So yeah, so it's this beautiful final moment. Before we, well, we're obviously going to taste these fish and tell you what we, what they're like. But Joel is our expedition chef. <laughs> they all fit rather nicely in the pan, and it just. So there we go, fish frying in the pan. Yeah. We have one fish each, two spare, so it's who can finish first gets the extras. <laughs> um, but thank you, Joel, for oh, wow. the camp chef. Cheers, lads. Thank yes. you for a brilliant day. Cheers. Amazing. Yeah, we can be yeah. out. Mm. Right, let's just get the taste. Mm. So, what do these wild trout taste like? Are they done? They're done. It tastes like chicken. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Oh, heavenly. And the, yeah. and the, the, the flesh is just 
pinky white. It's not like the sort of trout you get in the supermarket. It's not at all, no, it's, it tends to be sort of definitely whiter. Mm. Um, Beautiful flavour, yeah. wild. I find wild. it a lot less muddy, personally, mm. as well. Very clean tasting. Well, thank you, Trout. So this is part two of a little foraging adventure. And I've come to a remote beach uh, in just south of Ascent. And I'm just clambering over some rocks. And it's just a sort of experiment, really, to see if there's anything edible. It's beautiful. So let me describe it. A beautiful sandy cove flanked by low hills. It's slanted chunks of granity, Teridian sandstone, I don't know. But within these are lots of little rock pools. It is cold and windy. My goodness. I'm hoping to find some seaweeds and maybe one or two other edible shellfish. And so, looking into a rock pool, I see lots of winkles. So we're going to try some of those. They are just like little snails. And only take a tiny number because they do a hugely important job of grazing algae off these rocks and therefore kind of creating habitat for other other creatures so we'll just take a tiny handful of those just for a taster I'm going to clamber over the rocks see what else we can find I'd like to find some uh, oh an ida with young female ida just a single single duckling sea duck. She's brown. The male is beautiful. White, black. Oyster catcher. We're going to attempt to try a limpet. Uh, just see what that tastes like and whether it's something that is worth. I've only ever heard bad things about limpets. So as you can hear, it's quite wild and windy here. And the rain is closing in, so it's it's quite an epic, uh, ambitious to try and forage and record in this weather. But we've got some gutweed, we've got some winkles, we've got some sea beet, which I'll explain what that is when we're out of the wind. We've got some limpets. And we might... So this is the hot, this is tough foraging because the weather conditions are making it very difficult to, to record, let alone uh, find things. But it's a beach of barnacle encrusted rocks, amazing, great rocks, rocks and boulders that surge out into the sea. And then this glorious sand, and the water actually not as turbulent as the wind would have probably suggest, but you can hear it. It's turquoise, freezing. It's got that lovely tropical turquoise. And, um, there's a bit of blue sky coming, but I think it's you know, we, we, we're going to be we're going to struggle to to forage effectively here. So what we might do is grab a few bits and pieces and then go back to our cottage and, and test them out there rather than try and cook them in the wild. Um, but uh, it'll be just a little sampling exercise and a nice finale to this adventure in Scotland. But as I look, the sky's brightened up a bit. We've got a bit of blue sky over some uh, peninsulas that jut out far out to sea. 
I think on this sunny day this would be quite a miraculous place to spend time. Uh, but, it, but it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Watched a couple of guillemots fishing, black, black guillemots fishing offshore. And they're obviously foraging more successfully than we are. Just the sound of the sea. Rather soothing. And to be honest, crystal clear rock pools full of amazing seaweeds. But not, I've only found a small amount of the gutweed, which is a much more attractive proposition than it's actually so very, very common. Long strands of it. There's actually, there's lots of it here. Long, long strands, like sort of someone's tresses. And you can eat it raw, but we just try a little bit. And it's just like salty lettuce. Crunchy. Inoffensive. And they're quite pleasant. And if you wanted a green vegetable. Seagull. Oh, what's that? See? That's seagull. Oh, uh, gutweed. Gut I'll come and have a look. I'll come and have a look. Just perched on a rock as the water comes in. So I'm going to just pause for now. It does make you realise that the subsistence hunter-gatherers who lived here, subsistence farmers, they would have lived on things like limpets, so would have formed a large part of their diet. Uh, uh, but maybe no, no, that's that's just that algae. The of, stuff, yeah, it? filaments. Of, oh, the sun is coming out, so the unexpected bonus. And now it looks like we're on a tropical Caribbean beach. <laughs> Get my bikini on, yeah, nobody would like to see that. Even the limpets would run away. Uh, and now just... We're the only people here. Making the only footsteps that may appear on this... Footprints that may appear on this beach today. Lovely little beadless anemones. Little rays of sunshine in these, uh, in these rock pools. Ah. And it's uh, a bladderack which is really treacherous underfoot. So if you hear me yelp and there's a strange noise of a breaking microphone, that's what's happened. And you've just got to be like a sort of parkour expert leaping from crag to crag. So I'm just going to try a little bit of the gut wheat now on the beach. It's long and filamenty. Yeah, it's really salty, a bit gritty, but not at all unpleasant. Mm. What do you think of it? It tastes more salty than yes. the one we tried yesterday. Right, oh, it feels, it feels a little um, slimy compared to yesterday. Yeah, yesterday was just very It's actually got a different taste. Mm. I think it's the same thing. Very irony. Yeah. yeah. It's, um... I'm getting more of a sort of... sense of the sea in it. Yeah. Whereas yesterday it felt more like, um... a neutral vegetable. <laughs> it would definitely be a little bit more washed. Quite a nice salad ingredient. Mm. No, it's, very, it's actually quite pleasant. Mm. So it's looks nice. It looks nice as well, although I have to say... Badly named. I think the, um... I guess this isn't sea lettuce. Or is this uh, the same this thing? This is called gutweed. Right. Sea lettuce is slightly... And so it's kind of got this sort of... I thought, the, I thought the um, sea lettuce had a slightly more crunch. 
Okay. It's nice. I mean, um, I, th I think the main thing that it'll be the nicest thing we eat today. <laughs> the taste is actually really quite pleasant, um, and there's loads of it. I mean, you can mm. basically have a meal for a meal for four on this spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, it's um. Not Egon Roni recommended. It? <laughs> <laughs> it's quite hard to get down. I'm finding. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm not having that problem at all. Yeah. Um, it's but more it the long filaments. Sort of. It's much less salty. Stuck on my palate. <laughs> it's much less salty than you'd think it would be. Yeah, yeah. Considering it's, it's come out of the sea. I think that could be a really nice thing. You could sort of fry it so it's like crispy, like a sort of Chinese seaweed. I think yeah. that'd be quite nice. Feels a bit raw, like you need. How do they recommend stomachs. using it? Well, we'll, uh, we'll 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 look in the book later because the book will be part of uh, the look in John Wright's book. But I think he he has a vinaigrette that he adds to it. Well, back at the house and quite pleased to be indoors now. So we've, uh, well, I've been abandoned by my fellow foragers. Uh, I think I'm, they didn't like the look of the limpets. But I can say of the things we foraged, the two successes, definitely sea beet, which just wilted in butter, is like, yeah, like spinach. Uh, give it a wash though, because it can be very salty. Um, just wilted it, it's absolutely delicious. Sweet, got a decent sort of body to it, unlike spinach, which sort of wilts into nothingness. It was it was really good. Uh, I, I would eat that happily as a side vegetable. And the gutweed as well, really nice. We just sort of made a little dressing for it and just had, well, we only had a little mouthful each, but that was tasty. And a lot of the advice I follow for any seashore foraging is from John Wright, Dorset forager and nature writer extraordinaire. And he has a book called Edible Seashore from the River Cottage Handbook. Uh, and just good advice on what to do about eating some of these, you know, particularly if you're nervous about eating things. So, and he described winkles as having a rich and sweet taste. So I'm going to eat one now. There's a little sort of door that you have to get rid of which they shut to keep themselves alive at low tide but it's a, it was really nice really tasty it's a tiny bit sandy but maybe you should clean them for a bit uh, boil for a few minutes but the meat comes out really easily and actually delicious no problem there the limpets John describes I'm sure he won't mind me reading from his book He says, of limpets, patella vulgata. Anyone who enjoys eating pencil rubbers dipped in fish paste will find the common limpet a treat. I've been assured by a friend who runs a fish restaurant that it is possible to cook limpets in a way that renders them fairly tender, but I think he's simply lying. He recommends boiling them for 20 minutes. So we'll see about that. So this is a limpet now. No, 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 no. That's gritty, rubbery. Ah, uh, not good. No, I think maybe, no, maybe the limpet is a, a step too far and they do a much better job being left in the ocean to do what they do, which is graze rocks quietly and happily. So anyway, that was just a little bit of seashore foraging to finish off our little fishing and foraging expedition up here in Scotland.
and really though this and, and a sort of introduction to the various ways that we get our food now the rest of the series will be looking at farming food producers and other folk who provide the food that we who provide some of the wonderful food that we eat in Britain and it's really sort of an insight into the joy of doing that the hard work they put in and the respect they have for the countryside and the wildlife that lives within it and within on their land so a real understanding that creating food isn't easy and demands our respect and I'm glad we don't have to forage for it Life is a highway and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches but there's only one McCrispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour Today Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! So I'm back in the studio now, after that great adventure in the far north of Scotland, and it feels a little bit like a, a distant dream. But I'm, I'm sorry to say, I'm still a bit under the weather from all the... <laughs> hard exertion that the three of us went through, uh, clambering over hills and remote hikes. And I'm, I'm a broken man. So I'm quite glad to be back among friends here in the studio. With I've, I'm joined, as ever, by Hannah and Jack, who helped make the podcast, and also Tanya, who's joining us for this food series, uh, first in the series of um, food casts, A Taste of the Countryside. Uh, lovely to see you all, and thank you for listening to <laughs> to my <laughs> struggles in Scotland. First thing I'd like to say is um, I would never be able to forage for food uh, to survive. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, one learning is uh, I'm not very good at fly fishing, but foraging on the seashore, there's just not enough delicious things to eat. Mm. And it's never, ever eat limpets. That's That's the... Absolute second lesson of <laughs> this. Uh, but yeah, it was a really amazing, amazing adventure. And there were lots of things I didn't capture. But some fairly early on when we're fishing, there's a weird sort of whack, 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 whack. It's almost like a duck, but slightly more aggressive. And that turns out to be a black-throated diver, which we've never captured on, on the podcast before. So that was oh, good. Fantastic. I never saw it. I, never saw, I saw some later. And there's another podcast coming where we... Uh, for a different season, a, a different series later in the year, where we go to a seabird colony on a remote island off the coast there, and loads of amazing things. But we're here to talk food, food and foraging. And I have foraged something for you. <laughs> uh, it, took, it. Yeah, it took a lot of foraging, this. Uh, we had to put the nets up to catch them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was a struggle. We had to wrestle them. To, so I've brought the team uh, some haggis, which we did eat. We ate a fair amount in Scotland. Uh, I know it's the Scottish national dish and it's a bit of a cliche, but 
I couldn't bring any of the trout home. I definitely wasn't going to bring any limpets home for you to mm. taste. So I thought, you know, what does haggis taste like? Have you have you guys ever had ta- haggis before? Never. I've never had it either. Okay. Not had it. No. So you're all haggis novices. I'm interested to to find out what you think. I really like it. It smells better than I thought it was going to smell. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's two haggis here. We've caught both species. Haggai. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the. So we we two of these have been were were, were brought back from the wilds of Sutherland. So I would really it'd be great fun if you could grab a fork and try try them. I know Hannah, you are vegetarian, so you're going to have the herbivorous. <laughs> I would say the presentation doesn't really sell it. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, they, they look like deconstructed sort of stuffing. Yes. Yeah, like yeah. Which is not so bad. Spendy. So the meat one is, is much darker. It looks sort of like black pudding. I'm going for it. Excuse me. It's all right. <laughs> so it's all right. I think, I think that's quite tasty. It's, uh, I think it's slightly ruined by being microwave, but there's a lot of spices and texture in the meat one. It's better than I thought it was going to be. Mm. I think you always hear it's horrible, and I think it's not got the best reputation. But actually, it's not bad. I, I wouldn't. It's not my favourite thing, but it's not terrible either. I could, I could happily eat it. Yeah. And I'm scared about. I, I'm scared about hearing what's in it. I, okay. I feel like that. <laughs> well, let's move on to the vegetarian first. <laughs> Hannah, what did you think? It's delightful. It's very, very savoury. It's got that kind of like like oniony, sagey kind of stuffingy flavour, but it's got something else as well. It's quite the, chewy, but I think that's just the way it's been cooked. Yeah. The, the edge bits go for, go for go for some middle bits, I think. There are some great seeds in it. It's really nice. It's got a nice texture. Mm. Lots of seeds and nuts. And I'll tell you what's in the vegetarian one first of all. It's quite popcorny. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Why got, you say that? that we got we got sort pumpkin like seeds. around the outside. Mm. Sunflower seeds, oats, rice. Tastes ricey. Yeah, okay, so inside we have oats, black kidney beans, carrot swede, mushroom, red split lentils, onions, pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds, spices. And the meat one, do you want to know what's in it? Mm. (laughs) Hmm. The vast majority is 33% is lamb's lungs. Whoa. um, Well, that's nose to tail eating, isn't it, I suppose? Then oatmeal, water, beef fat, beef liver, beef heart, dried onion, barley. And the list is quite long. I mean, it's not bad, is it? It's not, it's, it's it's not I, bad at all. I think it's quite a delicious. So we had the vegetarian one or, uh, as a shepherd's pie. Oh, and it was really, idea. really nice. Yeah. So what you, you sort of just, put the mash on top? Yeah, literally just bake it. And it was Lovely. like simple, but very interesting. I think, I think part of the haggis's problem is people know what's inside of it. And I think then when they've tried it, immediately just don't like it because they know what's in it. Mm. Yes, that's true. Whereas actually, I think if you go for it without really knowing what's in it, it's actually not that bad. We're going to have another forkful. <laughs> but anyway, that's a celebration of the haggis. And I'm very grateful to... Uh, we had lots of great food up in Scotland. So so I had a wild time. I'm, I'm sorry for my slightly stuffed up sounding. I just got so wet and so cold on so many days that I, I sort of I was reduced to a wreck of a man. Fergus, you were very relaxed around the midges. I was so impressed. Uh, Did you have a head net on? No. I'm not relaxed about midges now. Right. I have oh, it's ten days later and I've still I'm still itching from some oh, of the bites. I did use oh. s- some spray but I got a bit confident and don't get overconfident with midges. Because the one sunny day, quite humid, a bit overcast at times, 
really good for fishing. And that's when we caught most of our fish. You sort of don't notice this as you're casting out and creating knots and tangling up and losing your fly in the heather and that sort of thing. Then kind of by the end, I was just covered in these welts all over and so itchy. But 10 days later, I can't believe it. It's like a sort of perpetual midge misery. So I've I've screwed up one of my knees. I've got <laughs> bunged up, and uh, <laughs> so it was well worth the trip. It returned to the fly charts, though. Midges or horsefly? <laughs> um, I think I would go for horsefly over. More. I'd rather be bitten by a horsefly than, than a horde of oh, midges. Right, yeah, there's a new number one entry there. I wanted to ask you all where where's the wildest place you've been to? Because that's definitely the wildest place I've been to in the UK with just sort of trackless wastes and no paths, which is why I'm broken man where in the uk is the wildest do you think you've been that's hard to hard to think where's left yeah or the place that you felt most remote at least one christmas we hired a very small cottage in just near eyemouth in the borders um and it was wonderful because there was no internet and no no one around no road it was a very long track we had to drive down to get to these old farmers cottages and we took the kids out every day, but it was just, we were not quite on the edge of the cliff, but very close to it. And it was just kind of wind and wildness. And that was uh, amazing. I think it's quite remote, the borders. You can drive for miles without seeing a settlement or a car, if you, particularly if you don't take the coast road. But some of those coastal towns, uh, yeah, it just feels like it's a long way from anywhere. How about you, Hannah? Wine Street in Swansea. <laughs> okay yeah, yeah yeah good good call good Thanks. call that's pretty wild don't know how remote it is but uh jack anywhere that you've probably someone like the moors and like down in like dartmoor or someone like that i guess mm. it's very it's where they're always spooky places aren't they yeah very far away from everything yeah. i'm going there tomorrow in fact to, to record for this series Good uh, luck. Yeah, well, if you don't see me again. What's your really, wildest place, Fergus? No, that I think Asint is because it's just, so it's a long way. You, you drive to, you, we drove to Inverness, it seemed like a thousand hours of driving. And then it's two, it's another 45 minutes to an hour to Ullapool, which is a relatively big town. And then it's another hour further north. And it just, you're going on these little tracks to Loch Inver, which is a little village on the, you know, little port. Oh gosh, some of the places we walked, there's just no no sound of no sign of human existence. It's never been farmed. It's impossible to farm. It's these sort of boggy wastes and then these locks. Really beautiful, but when you're in the rain and the cloud comes down, you can't see it. That can feel quite remote. In it itself, can feel can't very it? bleak. Um, we had a couple of absolute marvelous days, which sort of you know, brings it all back. But occasionally, I sort of yearned for it, like literally, I was so wet. And I have really good walking boots. I had to throw away my walking boots. They sort of rotted off my feet because they they got so wet. And they they weren't allowed in the car at the end. (laughs) Wow. Uh, It was basically, it's you or the boots. So the boots (laughs) had to be binned. They served me well. And and just so wet, wet to my pants, wet to every every single part of me. And just when you've got another four hours trudge ahead and you're completely wet, uh, there's something kind of shackleton about it <laughs> uh yeah i'm very glad to have a bath at the end of the day yeah anyway so this is the obviously this is the first this is just a, a, a an introduction really to our series a bit of food uh, a bit of foraging 
I can highly recommend if you ever get a chance to eat fresh brown trout from a, straight from a lock, it is the most delicious of fish. But as I said at the beginning, we wouldn't, you know, we'd all starve to death if we had to rely on our own handiwork, fishing or foraging. So this season is really about celebrating all lots of great food producers who are also creating great food, but also working with nature, working with the environment. And we're starting the, those next week with your visits to uh, the dairy. Yes. The cheese, the cheese maker. Mm-hmm. Blessed are they. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely fantastic. Half of the farmland is, is devoted to wildlife. Brilliant, really Would inspiring. Tune in next week for that. But on the subject of great f- farmers working really well with nature, we've been sent in a sound of the week from someone called Megan Locke, who works with, well, I, I particularly, I'm totally biased on this one because Megan works in Martin Down area, which is this my favourite part of the world, down on the sort of Wiltshire, Hampshire, Dorset border, this kind of untamed downland, but also part of it is farmed and all that sort of thing. So Megan works with the Martin Down Farm Cluster, which is a group of farmers who've come together to pool resources, farm effectively, but also farm for wildlife. And I, I just can't sort of praise them more highly. But she has sent in this recording of a turtle dove purring from a sort of scrub. But she says this turtle dove was recorded on one of the farms within the Martin Down Farm Cluster. There are three, there are three, three farm clusters which make the Martin Down Super Cluster, <laughs> which is which is even cooler. <laughs> uh, this farm is visited by several turtle doves daily, and we have fourteen to eighteen pairs of turtle doves across the Super Cluster. Now, when you think there's five thousand pairs in the whole of the UK, mostly south and east of Britain, but a few spread out, they're there because we have created foraging areas cultivated unharvested plots for arable plants, installed small ponds and puddles for access to clean water, managing nesting habitat and undertaking predator control. The magpies predate the nest. So and she also she goes on to say Megan goes on to say the the farm clusters are self-funded and they don't get any government support. It is completely farm led and delivering brilliant things for wildlife, which is all surveyed, monitored and recorded. And Megan's job is to survey and record. Anyway, before, without further ado Let's hear the sound of a turtle dove. So that's that's a black cat singing really strongly, but behind it, the soft purr of... Uh, have you ever heard that in the wild, any of you? I, I might have done, but I wouldn't have known what it is. Yeah. I mean, they're quite rare, aren't they? We, Your part of the world, actually, where you live, there will be some around. But, I see lots yeah. of uh, collared doves. But yeah, they've sort, no of, they've sort of become the, the, the kind of... I suppose they filled some of the niches, but the turtle dove used to be incredibly common in Britain, and that sound was heard everywhere and just sort of part of part of our culture to hear that purring whereas now with so few 97 decline since in my lifetime really tragic so i you know I, t- I definitely take my hat off to anybody working to protect turtle doves they're migratory so they have to run the gamut of shooters across southern europe 
droughts in Africa and then poor habitat when they arrive in Britain. So they've got a real difficult job and people do think they're going to go extinct. So lovely to get that sound and hopefully we'll capture it live on the podcast sometime. Well, that pretty much rounds it off for this episode, episode one of our Taste of the Countryside season. Well, really enjoyed that adventure. Thank you very much for sharing my foraging produce. <laughs> Thank and, you for bringing it in. Well, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's, it's all in the hunting. Um, <laughs> a huge thank you to Megan Locke for that lovely sound of the week, turtle doves, and best of luck with all your endeavours on the farming cluster. And maybe I will try and invite myself down and we could come and see what you're up to firsthand because A, it's my favourite place. B, it sounds like a great project. C, it fits really well with this season. So <laughs> look out for that one. And while we're on the subject of thank yous, I'd like to obviously thank my friends Joel and Gav for putting up with me and going on the adventures that we had, and particularly Gav for catching the food that we ate. So thanks, lads, and see you again soon. But we'll be back next week with Tanya's cheese adventures. For now, thank you for listening, and goodbye.